Awesome. That was celebratory. I loved it. So how do you live out this balance between looking at stuff and not overvaluing it and putting your hope and your satisfaction in the things of this world while still enjoying life? Enjoying creation because it reflects the creator that we have. Well, Solomon gives us a few different ways, but one of them that we're going to look at right now is basically he takes us into this section and he, he says over and over and over again, death is coming for us all. And I read this section the first time and it was kind of a downer, I'll be honest. I started getting bummed out reading it. I mean, he seriously, for five chapters, he gets a little preoccupied with it. It's 7 verse 1 through 4. 15, verses 15 and 18 again, chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, verses 9 through 14, chapter 9, 1 through 6, again in verse 12, chapter 10, verses 8 and 9, chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. He says it over and over and over again. These are just a few of the times, and at the end of it, you're reading it, and you're like, dude, what is going on in your life? This is getting a little depressing. Like, do you need some chocolate cake? Do you need a hug? Like, just, this guy's bummed out. But the more that I read it, the more that I was convinced that I was missing it. It's not meant to be depressing. I think it's meant to be liberating in a lot of regard. So look at chapter 7, verse 1. Chapter 7 says this, A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It's better to go into a house of mourning than to go into a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It reminds me a lot of this poem by Robert Browning Hamilton. And I don't know much about poetry, but I know that when the author goes by three names, it's going to be legit. (laughs) So here's this poet, and he says this, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted me all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow and narrow words, said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. And it's true in my own life, I know. I I could take all the things I've learned when life was good and it would pale in comparison to even just a few things I've learned during suffering. One of the things that sorrow and suffering teaches us is it teaches us that the world isn't enough for us. It teaches us, too, that we're, we're not invincible, we're not infinite, that we're finite, that eventually we're going to die. And I can't help but wonder, how would it change how we live today if we knew that we were dying? How would it look differently if we knew that this life was not all that we existed for, that there was something much bigger, something not found under the sun? It's like the person who finds out that they have a terminal disease and that there is no cure. Every second from that point becomes far more valuable, far more intentional. But yet we, we don't have an illness. We live as if there's no real certainties in this life. And there's not many, many certainties in this life, but there's a few. Let me give you guys a couple certainties. One, Rod will always cheer for Michigan. Always. Whatever the conversation, Dan Mike will find something in Hebrew to quote. No matter what you wear, Brad Claver will always be better dressed than you. You guys know this. These are true. And last but not least, we're all going to die. I know it doesn't really fit with the other ones, but it's certain we're all going to die. Apart from Christ, well, even just saying it, it just seems weird. Apart from Christ returning, everyone in this room is going to pass away. 
Do me a favor, look at your neighbor and say, you're going to die. Just kidding. <laughs> That's far too morbid, right? But is it? We try so hard to ignore it. We try so hard to shelter ourselves from it. We put on makeup and go through plastic surgery to try to look like we're further away from it. We eat really well and really healthy because we want to prolong it and push it away as far as possible. That's why I had Arby's new brisket sandwich twice this weekend. Because some things are worth dying for. Seriously, I had it for the first time. So good. Best fast food sandwich ever. That's really, yeah, not a part of the sermon. Just free. I'm getting a cut for everyone who shows up after the service at the local Arby's on Alpine. Um, no, but I will put in a plug here. If you guys know Elise Shoebring, is Elise here? This is not in my notes, but Elise has a fundraiser at Buffalo Wild Wings downtown. She's going on the world race um, to be a missionary all over. So if we want to just descend on that place, that would be awesome, and she'd love it. <laughs> um, boy, I am way off track. Okay, give me a second here. Okay, so... I think the issue is that sadly we are all a lot like Solomon sometimes. And we don't think about the fact that this world is fleeting, that this world is temporary. And we live like in the first few chapters just for all the worldly pleasures, worldly wisdom, worldly wealth. When we fail to live with the end in mind, we're no better than rats. You say, that's weird. I agree. There's an experiment in 1954 by this guy James Olds and Peter Milner. I still don't know how it happened, but they accidentally implanted an electrode in the pleasure center of a rat's brain. Again, how does that accidentally happen? I don't know. But this rat became very energized, very enthusiastic, and they said, boy, this is cool. We're going to set up an experiment. So they put this little lever in the middle. I've shared this story with the students before, but they put this little lever in the middle of the room and Anytime the rat pushes on the lever, it will send a small electrical signal around and into the electrode in their brain. And so they said, I wonder what's going to happen with these rats. You guys got a guess? That rat found the lever, and when it did, it started doing this. <laughs> 6,000 times in a single hour, that rat pressed that lever. They said, man, that's a lot of times. That rat must be hungry. So they put food in the cage. And that rat did this. Over and over and over again, they said, what about water? Certainly it's thirsty. And they put water in the cage, and that rat just ignored the food and the water, and it just pounded on that lever over and over again. Until eventually the rat keeled over, collapsed, and it died. You think, wow, what a stupid rat. They did it with mammals, up to and including human beings. They put an electrode in some people's brains, right in the pleasure center. And the experiment was so similar that they actually had to shut it, off, shut it down. And there was a couple people who got down on their hands and knees and they begged the scientists, please, please don't shut this off. Don't stop just yet. Is that a fulfilled life? If I put you guys in a room... I gave you that little electrode thing and maybe you're smart enough and so you do food and water too and you intend to live a full long life but just pressing that lever down, would you say that's a fulfilling in full life? I think instinctively we all know, no, that you've got to live for something bigger than that. You've got to live for something more meaningful than that but yet I also wonder why then is happiness the goal so often with everything that we do in life? Everyone is going to die 
And the truth of the matter is that should shape how we live. To live for pleasure alone, like Solomon says, it's meaningless. The same for riches, influence, power, everything else under the sun. And that word meaningless, we haven't really defined it too well. That word meaningless really means it's a, it's a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. It's lacking in substance and duration. There's just nothing to it. And to help us break the cycle, Solomon says we need something eternal, something lasting. And he advises us first and foremost to consider the fact and keep it in our mind, to accept the fact that we're going to die. And before we know it, we'll all be gone. Look at chapter 9, verse 2. Chapter 9, verse 2. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. He's saying, I don't care who you are, I don't care what you do, death has no favorites, it's coming for you. I did not mean to rhyme, but from now on I will be Brandon Edwin Hearth. Please refer to me by all three names. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) That also wasn't in my notes. Um... Go down a little bit in verse 3 to the second part of it. It says, The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there's madness in their hearts while they live. And afterwards, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. Don't picture a labradoodle here, like cute and cuddly. Dogs back then were scavengers. It's probably closer to like, maybe if we were in Africa, we'd say something to the effect of, A living hyena is better than the dead lion that it's feasting on. And now I'm thinking about Whoopi Goldberg and Lion King and all that. Verse 5, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Rod asked last week, how many of you remember the name of your grandparents? And everyone's hand kind of went up. How many of you know the name of your great-grandparents? And so many hands went down. Your name will ultimately be forgotten. But even more than just their name, their love, their hate, their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. What he's saying is, our time's limited. Soon enough you'll be forgotten. Even the things of your personality that make you, you. The things that make you joyful and smile. The things that you love. The things that you're jealous about. They'll all be forgotten. Nothing satisfies under the sun because true satisfaction is only found in something beyond the sun, something bigger than this life and death. Everything here is fleeting. Your job, your status, your money can be taken in a second. Your youth, it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Your cat, it's here today and it's hopefully gone tomorrow. I'm just, I really don't hate cats that much, that much, Um, but a little. No, I'm kidding. So what are you guys living for? Are you living like a rat? Or are you living with a realization that you only have so much time and that you don't know when the end is coming? Look at verse 12, chapter 9, verse 12. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds birds taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly on them. Saying the end's coming and you don't even know when it's coming. So live a life that matters by living for something that matters. Someone who wasn't created, someone who's outside of time. John 1 says that Christ, before time, was even a thing, 
was. Colossians says it this way, the Son is the firstborn over all creation, for in Him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. What if that verse is telling us the truth? What if God is really an eternal God, born long before time began, infinite? And what if he so wanted a relationship with you, so wanted to save you from futile living and give you this, what he calls the abundant life, that he was willing to die so that he could be with you for all of eternity, so that you never had to experience true death and true damnation? What if that was true? How would it shape how you live? Because it is true. Live for the one who died so that when you die, you'll ultimately live. Live a life that matters because you live for the one who matters. Millions of things in this life promise satisfaction, but only one came down and died so that you could be truly, eternally satisfied. There's a verse in the New Testament where Jesus just says, Come, all who are thirsty, I'll give you living water so that you'll never thirst again. We had a slide that was supposed to be up a little earlier. I missed it, but it's Jeremiah chapter 2, and I think it just fits with this. And I want to give us a second. Sometimes we ask questions and we rush to the next point, and we don't give us time to sit. So why don't you guys take a minute here while the band gets ready to play again and just read through this verse. 